Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome along. My name's Dave, for those of you who don't know me. And we are in a series at the moment. We're looking at the difference between pride and promise, uh, titled Reclaiming the Rainbow. And if you've been with us, you'll know that really we're looking into to the origins of pride. Where does pride come from? The fact that it's something that comes against all of us. And, and really then, what is it that God would have us do? What is what is the call of God? What is the truth of God as we approach uh, as a church and we deal with the issues in our world at the moment where pride is becoming more and more celebrated? And so that's really what we're looking at. Today, we're at the fourth week. So if you've missed the first three weeks, you need to go back and look at them because I can't cover everything to, uh, in, a, in a little summary as to where we are. So go back and check them out. Today, we are looking uh, at the principalities behind pride. The principalities behind pride. And I just want to say, at the end of this service, we're going to give people an opportunity to receive prayer. And most of you know that about a month ago, I had the opportunity to take a couple of weeks and go to a pastors and leaders conference. And a part of that conference, as I was on the plane, I sort of just said to the Lord, all right, if there's, a, if there's an altar call, I'm going, you know? Because it's good to get prayed for, yeah? I was like, if there's an altar call, I'm in. Thinking it's a pastor's leaders conference, there's probably not gonna be an altar call. There might be one, maybe. Lo and behold, I think every single session, they said, look, if you want prayer, come forward. So I was like, all right, I'm in. I said I'd go, so I went forward for prayer. And by the third day, my roommate <laughs> sat me down at night and he goes, so, there's a lot going on, hey? I was like, yeah, it's been good, hasn't it? What do you mean? And he's like, oh, you know, you know, you've uh, obviously there's a lot happening in your life and just checking if you're okay. And I was like, a bit confused. I went, oh, because I'm going forward for prayer all the time. And he's like, yeah, yeah. You're like, can I pray for you and all that stuff? And oh, like, you can pray for me, yes, because I love being prayed. I just said to God, if there's an altar call, I'm going forward for prayer. And uh, I love being prayed for and it's been amazing. I feel so refreshed. And he went, oh, that's so good. So the very next session, he's with me and then these other guys, in the end, we're all going forward for prayer. Anyway, I tell you that to encourage you and say, when there's an opportunity to receive prayer, let's be bold. If there's something in your life that you wanna to bring to the Lord and want encouragement in, no better place to do that than to pray with your brothers and sisters. Amen? Awesome. So we are looking at the principalities behind pride. And I wanna... Um, just set the scene here. See, I grew up acutely aware. Like I'm, I'm raised Uniting Church. I'm saved Pentecostal. I'm studied non-denominational. I've worked in a Lutheran school and now I'm a Baptist pastor. So there's, there's a plethora of input that's happened for me in my life. And one of those things was this acute awareness that we live uh, in a world that there's not just the physical that we can see, feel and touch, but there is a spiritual realm and there is a battle and there are principalities and powers. And so I've, I've known that, like I've known Ephesians 6, 12, which talks about, you know, that we, let me, let me read it so I get it right. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We know that there is more to life than meets the eye. And we are in a battle. However, sometimes in trying to understand that and in reading the Scriptures, sometimes we actually have to dive in a little bit deeper and we need someone to sit with us and help us open up this Word so that we can begin to see the fullness of what's going on. It's a little bit like, you guys seen those face illusions? Let's put one of them up there. My son Bailey's on CG today. How good's that? A little proud dad moment. If you're a 12 year old, you wanna go on CG? Get around it. Let's put one up. Just gave him a wrap. Is it not gonna work? 
Anyway, you know, the, you know those ones where you have, there's a picture, right? And you look at the picture and the first thing you see is like a young lady. Anyone know what I'm talking about? This would have been so much better if the image was up on screen, but that's all right. And you see the young lady, so you go, oh, that's a young lady. And then someone else will come along and they'll say, oh, that's an old lady. And you're like, what do you mean that's an old lady? All I can do is see the young lady. And it's, you need someone to come and sit with you and say, oh, see the, the necklace on her neck? If you just zoom out a little bit, you'll see that's actually the mouth of the old lady. And all of a sudden you go, oh. And you can see this other image embedded in the first image. And you realise that both images have always been there. Sometimes it's just hard to see. Yeah, there's another one, two old people, which I was gonna show you, which is two elderly people, but it's also two Mexican musicians. And it's really cool. But until someone can, sometimes you need help. Sometimes we need help to sit down, to open this up. Oh, there we go. Who sees a young lady? Who sees the old lady? Who sees both? See the necklace of the the young lady? That's the mouth of the old lady. The chin is the nose. You with me? Yeah, there you go. It kind of lost its luster because it's a bit late. But anyway, this is, so this is what we sometimes need. We need help. We need help, right? We need to be able to dive into God's Word and we need to bounce off one another. We need to be able to talk to people. We need to be able to chew through the Scriptures together and realise there is so much in this Word that just meets the eye. There's so much more in the Word of God than something just reading through passages we've always known. This is why we are called and commanded to meditate on the Scriptures. Because as we meditate on the Scriptures, the truth of those Scriptures is magnified and therefore works to empower us and to set us free that we might walk and live in the truth. And my prayer today is as we work through back into Genesis 3 and through a whole bunch of scriptures, and we look at the principalities behind pride, that just maybe all of our eyes are opened a little bit more. And we begin to see what's really going on in our world, and we become encouraged and strengthened to be who God has called us to be. Is that good? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is true. And Lord, we know that You are on the throne. We know that You have won the victory. We know that, yep, we have an enemy who prowls about like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. But we know that You are the lion of the tribe of Judah, who has come to seek and save the lost. And we know that you are the way, the truth and the life and where the truth reigns, freedom is found. We pray that you would do that today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and move and minister. Lord, let the words of my mouth fall to the ground. Let your word be magnified in our hearts and take root in our hearts. Encourage your children today, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So here's what we've seen. We've seen that the root of pride is a lie. We've seen that the lie steals true identity as image of God bearers and kills innocence by by making us believe a lie about the biblical sexual ethic. And today what we're gonna see is that this lie not only steals true identity, not only seeks to destroy innocence, but it also leads humanity into idolatry, which ultimately always produces spiritual slavery. That when you worship an idol, when we we give our praise, when we give authority to anything that is not God, we become enslaved by the very thing we are ascribing worship to. That's what we're gonna see. So remember where we left off. We, we're created as citizens of Eden, amen? Eden is the tabernacle place where God dwells with humanity. We were created to be citizens of Eden, image bearers of God who would take that image 
and represent it, represent it to the world, to become the co-creators, co-laborers that the world might know who God is. We were subservient to His Word, which meant we're living in the truth. God said, it's all yours, don't take that. And as long as we didn't take that, we're living in the truth, subservient to His rule and reign, and therefore knowing His, His beautiful, holy, wonderful presence intimately. And then God said, if you take what I've told you not to take, meaning if you reject my Lordship, that's what that's all about. If you choose to say that you don't wanna sit under my rule and reign and you wanna redefine holiness, justice, love, you wanna do all of those things according to your own will, not mine, you will surely die. That was the promise of God. Now watch what happens. Let's jump straight back into Genesis 3. So open the Bible. If you're not a note taker, now's the time to be a note taker. If you are a note taker, let's get into it. Genesis 3, reading from 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will surely die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So the serpent comes along and says, you won't die. You'll know good from evil. Now you remember we talked about the most dangerous lie is a half truth. Amen? The most dangerous lie is a half truth. So there's this, this word spoken, you're not going to die, which is in direct contradiction to what God had already spoken. You'll know good from evil. Now, this word no is incredible, right? And I only saw this just the other day in, in bouncing off of a dear friend of mine who led our uh, Truth and Life seminars, seminars a couple of years ago. And he said to me, he goes, Dave, that word is huge. The Hebrew word knowing, that we translate knowing or to know or know is the Hebrew word yodah. Everyone say yodah. And what yodah means is to know intimately. It's the, the Greek translation is gnosko. It means not just a knowing up here, not an ethereal knowing, but it means to experience. So as the enemy comes along and he says this lie, he says, no, you're not gonna die. You're gonna know, you're gonna experience good from evil. That's the half truth because the lie is knowing good and evil, experiencing good and evil, bringing evil into the equation isn't gonna kill you. But we know from what God had already spoken that it would. So he sows a lie. And the fascinating thing about it, church, is that when Adam and Eve, when humanity subjected and submitted themselves to God's truth. They were subservient to Him. You could say enslaved to His truth. They were free, completely free, completely innocent of the battle of good and evil because all they knew was good. Because they lived in a good, a very good creation. So the enemy comes along, they believe the lie, which means they become subservient because to believe is to obey, believe is to do. We talked about this with the Heisen Tunnels. If I believe the Heisen Tunnels are gonna collapse, the evidence of my belief is what? I take Eagle on the Hill, yeah? If I truly believe that, yes? But if I say I believe the Heisen Tunnels, you know what I'm talking about, people, the freeway that we drive on? If I believe those tunnels are gonna collapse, but I drive through them every day, what does that say about the nature of my belief? I don't really believe that. 
So the more we believe something, the more we're gonna obey it. And so they believe the lie and they act upon it. Which means they've given that lie authority in their lives. And in so doing, in trying to be free from God's authority, free from God's rule and reign, they now become slaves to sin and death. They become enslaved to the lie. How are we going? Does that make sense? And so the act of seeking freedom, which they already had, has led to slavery. And what we begin to realise then is that pride, which is the root of that lie, has produced principalities, ruling authorities, because humanity is now subservient to the lie instead of the lordship of the Creator God. And so what we see are these principalities that begin to be at work in the world. And so as you look at that and you begin to see that, the first question, if you're new to the church or if you're someone not familiar with reading your Bible, the first question you're like, well, who the heck is the serpent? What's with the serpent? Let me answer it very simply. We could go on a huge tangent. We could go real deep here. We're not gonna. Revelation 12 verse nine. It says, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. So in the midst of beautiful imagery in the book of Revelation, in the midst of of what's going on here in the garden, it's really clear this serpent is Satan. He is the one who is opposed to God. So the lie that enters Eden, the lie that leads to pride comes from the devil. It does not come from human will or understanding. The lie comes from the devil. There is a spiritual root behind pride. Are you with me? There is a spiritual root behind pride. And that that serpent, that crafty serpent is the devil who sows that lie. Why does he do it? Because he hates humanity and he craves the authority we were given in the garden. Humans were made in God's image, which is the very thing he longed for. So he wanted to defile the image of God in humanity. Humans were given authority to rule and reign on the earth, which is the very thing he craved. So he wants to defile that which God has given us. His sin was pride. He wanted to be God. He wanted to rule and reign and he wanted to be worshipped. Now the Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel and the book of Isaiah that he was thrown out of heaven because of this. So he was thrown out of heaven. And as he's thrown out of heaven, Now wandering the earth as a fallen angel, which means, I'm trying not to go too deep here, but it means he's interdimensional because angels can appear both in the physical and the spiritual realm. So he comes roaming on the earth and he tells a lie in the hope that the lie would deceive the image of God bearers. That we'd believe it and that we would therefore go from propagating God's rule and reign on the earth, which is what we were called to be, to propagating the image of the serpent. Why do we propagate the image of the serpent? Because we're under the reign of the lie. When we are under truth and living by truth, we begin to walk in the image of God identity that we're created in because God is truth. And so we begin to see His image go out into the earth. When we live by a lie, we begin to therefore spread through our actions, words, we spread that lie to the world, which means we're propagating the very image of the one who first said the lie. How are we going at 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning? 
This is really important that we get it. Really important. So we actually become enslaved to the consequences of the lie. Let me, let me read it to you from Romans 1. Romans 1 says it beautifully. Go there. We'll go Romans 1 verse 18 to 32. Paul explains this so, so well. Romans 1, 18 says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You hear that? Suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Stay with me. For although they knew God, for although they knew God, they were intimate with God, they then neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain again the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil and they disobey their parents. They've no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That's pretty full on, isn't it? Yes? That's pretty full on. The point is, is when we give in to pride, we become enslaved to sin. And if you keep reading the book of Romans, what he goes on to say, it doesn't matter how religiously astute you are, all of us have bought into pride at some point. Because Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are freely justified. And we're gonna get there in a little bit, just hold tight. But as we look at Romans, I want you to see something. I want you to see what the lie does. There are three specific levels here. There are three specific, uh, I guess, strongholds, you could call them. Three specific principalities. Three levels of the lie, how the lie gets in, how it becomes embedded in culture, and then the outcome. And what you're gonna see is this. The lie, this is, this is the pattern through which the enemy works. Number one, the lie invites humanity to exchange the glory of God for the glory of man. They exchange the glory of God for the glory of man. What that means is the lie is you don't need God. That's how, the, that's how it works. That's the first way that the lie starts to take dominion and principalities are established by making human beings believe they don't need God. 
by making us believe or by inviting us to believe, I should say, inviting us to believe that we can be equal with God. This is the picture of Genesis all the way up to to Babel where we're building the tower so we are like God. It's we don't need Him. Number two, it invites humanity to therefore, in believing that, to therefore exchange the biblical sexual ethic with shameful lusts. Because I don't need God who is love, I therefore redefine love to lust. And instead of submitting my desires to His authority and His truth, knowing His truth will set me free and bring me life, I then embrace my lustful desires and call them love and say, that's how God made me. And what you begin to see is this sexual perversion of of a culture. This is what he's talking about in the book of Romans. And then the third thing, once we've embraced that as a society, once sex has been removed from the marriage covenant and it is no longer a sacred gift to unite people and help us fulfil our priestly duty, but becomes just something we do in an animalistic urge, what happens is the lie then invites us to exchange righteousness for wickedness. It begins by rejecting that we need God, that God is Lord. It it embraces an unbiblical sexual ethic and it leads to utter depravity and wickedness. That's what Paul is saying. That's the picture of Genesis 1 to 11. That's his summary. And you could say it's what we're seeing in the world today. And here's the thing, if this is what we see in Genesis 1 to 11, it's something that we should see in ancient civilizations beyond just what the Bible tells us, yes? And the fascinating thing is you study ancient civilizations and you study their culture and you study their way of life, what you will see over and over and over again, and a really helpful book for me in learning this stuff, I don't just know this stuff, but you read books and you learn. It's really cool, it's this great thing, right? If you're gonna read one book, read the Bible. If you're gonna read more than one book, there's lots of good ones out there that you can learn from. One of those books that has been helpful to me in this is a book called Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn. Now, is everything in that book something that I hold to? Probably not, all right? Is it the Gospel? Of course not. Like any book, you take some good stuff, you can throw some stuff on the edge, but it is helpful. He's a guy who's explored the history of civilizations, and what he's found is this exact pattern through ancient Mesopotamia, ancient, all different ancient cultures. This pattern is shown. It's fascinating, isn't it? But if it's in... Genesis 1 to 11, and it's in our ancient civilizations. And if the goal of the enemy, if it is a principality, if it is a spiritual root, who's with me? I know this is heavy for a Sunday morning, but this is important. If it is a spiritual root and not just a physical action, if there is a, physic, a spiritual root to it, we should expect to see this pattern particularly in the nation of Israel and in the nations where the church has been the predominant prevailing religious worldview. So particularly in Western culture. Why? Because Israel was given the mandate after the fall to be the priestly image bearers of God, yes? They were given the law. They were saying, hey, the world's gone crazy. The world's fallen into this. Now I'm raising you up to be a people who will bear witness to my name to the ends of the earth. And so we should see it in the nation of Israel. And if you study the Scriptures and particularly, particularly from Judges through to the end of Second uh, Kings or you can go through to the Chronicles as well, we're gonna see a fascinating thing. You ready to go there? We're gonna see a fascinating thing because every single time in biblical history, what got Israel? Three idols, Baal, Asherah, 
Moloch. Now they called them idols, they called them gods. We know that they're, they're not gods, they're lies that give rise to principalities. It's the root, the spirit behind it, the demonic spirit, which lets us buy into a lie and then subjects us to a principality. And in the cultures around Israel, there was a worship of Baal, Asherah and Moloch. And over and over and over again, when Israel fell away from who they were created to be, it was these three idols that enslaved them. Do you know what those three idols are? Baal, it means owner or Lord. Baal was the one who sought to steal God's glory by inviting Israel to believe that they didn't need Yahweh. He was the one who came in and called himself the God of fertility, prosperity and rain. And the one that caused Israel to turn away from the Most High God and instead of worshipping and trusting Him to be their provider, they went to Baal to be their provider. What are they doing? They're exchanging the glory of God for the glory of man. Who's with me? They're exchanging, it starts by exchanging the glory of God for the glory of man. We don't need you, Lord. We're turning to Baal. And with Baal came Asherah. Asherah was said to be Baal's wife. And so what happened was, as soon as they turned to Baal, then Asherah came in and Asherah was the seductress. She's a fascinating entity to study. You see, Asherah was worshipped on high places where they had shrine prostitutes. The worship of Asherah was a lot more enticing than the worship of Yahweh. The worship of Yahweh involved sacrificing bulls and goats and fairly intense, right? The worship of Asherah involved sleeping with prostitutes. It's awfully quiet in this Baptist church. So you went from this worship to this worship and to the flesh, one is far more enticing than the other. And so the belief that I don't need Yahweh leads to the rejection of the biblical sexual ethic and embracing of shameful lusts. Can you see that? In the nation of Israel. And here's what happened in the nation of Israel. Not only was Asherah the seductress, not only was it she worshipped through shrine prostitutes and sex and all kinds of different sex, also, this is fascinating, she was known as the transformer. Her priests were often male eunuchs. She's known, and you find this in ancient Mesopotamian scripts, she's known as the one who would turn a man to a woman and a woman to a man. She despised masculinity and she also despised true femininity. What she wanted was weak men and she wanted women warriors. She wanted to remove the biblical picture of man and woman and wanted to destroy the family unit that God had ordained in Genesis 2 for His image to be populated on the earth. A complete coming against the biblical picture of family, marriage, and sex. So Israel embraced Baal, and with Baal came Asherah, and here's the fascinating thing, with Asherah came Moloch. And if you know anything about Moloch, Moloch is a dark, dark, dark principality. Moloch was the one that you worshipped him by sacrificing children to the fire. The idea was all the babies that were born in the high places in worship to Asherah were now given over to Moloch. You could say that a righteous lifestyle had become so depraved that it led to utter depravity 
and wickedness. And there's lots more we could say about that, but I'm just gonna pause right there. Because as you look at what happens in the Scriptures to the nation of Israel, every single time they were seduced in this pattern, every single time they ran away, something happened. God came, usually with some sort of judgment or He'd raise up another king, a righteous king. That king would come along and the Asherah poles would be cut down. The high places would be removed. And almost always what was associated with it was the declaration of the Word. Great example is King Josiah. As Israel has spent 50 years following these practices, completely, 50 years under Manasseh, just completely depraved, completely rejecting the way of God. Josiah becomes king. Someone finds the Word of God. They read it to him. And what happens? He is, he is, ripped to the heart, he repents, and then he goes about redeeming and purifying the nation. Because when truth comes in, it destroys the lie. Josiah subjected himself to the truth and it brought freedom for Israel. But when you subject yourself to the lie, we embrace the principalities and their goal to see the image of God nature of human beings destroyed. Now it's at this point in time where I'd love to inject a joke and make us laugh for a little bit because I realise this is very, very heavy. But I promised you and I told you that this series was gonna be heavy. And it's something we need to grasp. Are you with me? So we see this pattern in Israel. We see what happens when Israel give themselves to the lie and therefore to the principalities. They become bound by them and it leads to their destruction. And if we see it in Israel, as I said, it would make sense that we would see it in the West. Because the West is, that, is, is those nations that are founded, like grounded and founded on biblical truth, where the church has thrived. And if the enemy wants to see the biblical picture destroyed, then he's gonna come after the places where that image is being most boldly declared. What do we see in the West? Well, firstly, we see these ancient practices disappear as the West was established. Why? Because of the Gospel. Because the Gospel goes out and over the course of a few hundred years, pagan worship becomes not the centre of civilizations, but on the very, very fringes. And at the centre of civilization is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, people still live in sin and still make mistakes, but we don't see the celebration of this depravity. We see people under God in His truth and we see a blessed nation. But then something fascinating has happened in the last 60 years. You see, in 1962, over in America, there was a law passed that banned public prayer in public schools. What is that? It's beginning to exchange the glory of God for the glory of man. It's saying we don't need God. We're banning public prayer. And as public prayer was banned, just a few years later, what do we see? Sexual revolution. Is this not fascinating you? So as soon as you reject God, all of a sudden the sexual revolution comes, the family unit begins to get degraded. Children go from being a blessing, which God called them, to a curse. And in recent times, more and more and more, and as a church, we've marched against this over and over again, we're seeing the rapid legalisation of abortion. As children go from being something that was a blessing of God to something that's become a hindrance from me living the sexual life I wanna live. 
Now, when we talk abortion, I am not talking about, there are difficult cases. There are cases of trauma. There are cases of illness. That's not what we're talking about here. Funnily enough, I watched, I watched an interview uh, of a Hollywood actress talking on a panel the other day about abortion. These are the things that I watch during the week as I'm preparing for this stuff. And I won't name her, but they were talking about it. She says, you know, it's just about flexibility. That's what this is about. Again, not talking about the trauma cases, not talking about the difficult things. We're talking about this pervading worldview that I want flexibility. Why? Because children might impact my ability to be successful, to acquire wealth for myself, Baal, and prevent me from living out the sexual life that I wanna live, Asherah. And therefore, we're gonna sacrifice them to Moloch. Over a billion children have been aborted since the sexual revolution began. The lie has subjected humanity to ancient principalities that have always been there and it is not helping humanity. We saw the stats last week. This is not good for humanity. And it is high time in our day and age that we recognise what is going on, that we name the lies, that we boldly speak the truth and say the lies will enslave you, not set you free. The lies don't give you flexibility, they give you trauma and despair. The truth sets you free. It is the truth that transformed Israel before they fell again and then transformed them and then they fell again. It is the truth that changed society as the church flourished. And it is the truth again in this day and age, which will bring the transformation our world so desperately needs. Because the world is searching again, friends. The secular paganism that we've lived in for the last 30 years, as we said, is starting to crumble. People are looking at this stuff and realising it's not helping me. It's only hindering me, it's hurting me, it's hurting society. People are hungry, we're entering post-secularism, which means we are entering a glorious day. We're entering a wonderful day where people's hearts are soft to truth again. And it is, this is why we're doing this series because it is the church who must rise up in their biblical mandate as image bearers of God and lovingly, graciously, wonderfully, unashamedly declare the truth that you are not made for this. You have been created for something better. The Bible says we speak a better word. What is that word? It's the Gospel. Why is it a better word? Because in Matthew 28, after going to a cross, dying, resurrecting, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. He has taken back the keys of death and Hades, it says in Revelation 1. He has defeated the enemy. The enemy has no power against the truth of God. All He is is a deceiver. He has a lie, but that lie will not destroy a person who grabs hold of the truth. Colossians 2.14 says this about Jesus. He has cancelled the written charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities. He has disarmed the principalities. He has stomped on the serpent's head. Come on, somebody. He has defeated the enemy on the cross. Humility destroyed pride. Humility 
is more powerful than pride. And Jesus has disarmed the powers and principalities and He has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I love that verse. I feel like preaching now. I love that verse. Because what it's saying to us, what it's declaring to us is that all of that demonic realm, the entire spiritual realm knows that Jesus is Lord. Because every time Jesus encountered any spirit, any demonic spirit, they trembled in fear. We are not to be afraid of the spirit realm. We are not to be afraid of principalities and powers. The number of people have come up to me in the last week and said, Dave, you're so brave. That's nonsense. This is not brave. Brave is what's happening in China and Iran where people are risking their very lives for the sake of worshipping Jesus. This is just speaking truth, which we're all supposed to do. There is no fear because perfect love dries out all fear and Jesus has demonstrated perfect love by dying on a cross and destroying and defeating the principalities and powers. We've got to understand that Satan and the principalities know their lot. He knows that he is going to spend eternity in the fiery pit of hell. Hell is not his kingdom or his palace. Hell is his prison set aside for him to judge him for the lie he spread throughout humanity deceiving humanity into believing we're something we're not. He has disarmed, he's made a spectacle of them. How cool is that image? Heaven's like, oh, you're embarrassing. He's made a spectacle of you publicly. Everybody knows. And now we just wait for the glorious day for the church to arise and to be brought to its rightful place as His pure spotless bride. Oh gosh, it's quarter past 11. Okay. So let me give us, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us right now? Let me give you four quick, quick things. First, well, yeah, four things. First Peter 2, 8 to 12. First Peter 2, 8 to 12. What is the role of the church? Watch this. They stumble because they disobey the message. That's that idea of we've got to come under truth. We have to live in the truth, which was also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Live such good lives. Uh, sorry, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. First Peter 5, so live such good lives. What does that mean? What does that mean? Does it mean just doing good works? What is a good life according to the Scripture? First Peter 5, Five, two, eleven. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. Number one, submit to the truth. Submit to God. Humble yourself under God. Believe His Word, proclaim His Word, live in His Word, stop saying what God has called sin is righteousness and stop calling what God has said righteousness, sin. Let's just live in the truth, amen? Humble ourselves, wrestle with the Scriptures, deep dive with the Scriptures. There's stuff that's hard to understand. It doesn't mean just take this level and go, oh, that's what it means. No, dive with it, wrestle with it, go back and forth with people. There's plenty of beautiful Christian brothers and sisters who I disagree with on things. That's all right. It's a part of iron sharpening iron. But we do it together that we might grow in the truth. Submit to God. Keep reading. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Number two, wake up. Wake up. The church of the West needs to wake up. Somebody? The church of the West is a sleeping beast. At the moment, we have the church of the East, 
sending missionaries to the West to wake us up. We need to wake up. We have bought in to the lie of Baal that we're comfortable and we don't really need God. We like God, but do we know we need Him? Do we understand that we are in a battle? That yep, we've got the last page. We know how the battle ends. We know Jesus has won the day. We know He is victorious. So we can live in faith and we can live bold lives because I know how the story ends. The church needs to wake up and be alert and come out of its slumber. Number three, let's keep reading. Oh, I lost my page, just smacking the Bible. Be alert and of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse nine, resist him standing firm in the faith. Number three, stand up. Stand up. It is time for the church to stand again. To do what Paul called us to do and fight the good fight of faith. To take our stand against the devil's schemes. To put on the full armour of God, Ephesians 6. To put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sandals of peace, the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. It is time for the church to stand up. What good is having a sword if it stays sheathed? The sword is truth. Get it out of the belt of truth and start living by it and in it. And as we live in the truth, the truth will set us free. And as we declare the truth humbly, not arrogantly, not bashing people over the head with it, but humbly meeting people where they're at, saying, you got some questions, I know you're searching. Let me show you the one you're searching for. Let me show you the truth and God will set them free. Oh, there's so much more, but I gotta keep going. All right, number four, last one. Persevere, persevere. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Friends, the gospel movement is not a flash in the pan. It's not a firework movement that goes off and then disappears. The gospel is an eternal fire that burns within the hearts of believers. We are called to be steadfast, submitted to the truth, walking after Him. And so friends, we gotta finish, but as we finish, my encouragement is simply this. There's an old quote, it says, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, the one who runs in the opposite direction appears to have lost their mind. We have a whole world running towards a cliff. What are we gonna do? The simple answer is this, submit to the truth. That's really all God asks us to do. Submit to the truth. Let Jesus be Lord, truly. As we submit to the truth, as we let Him be Lord, do you know what happens? We will wake up, we will stand up, and we will persevere because it is not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit. That is the call on the church to let Him 
reign. Let him reign. Give him lordship. And those difficult things, wrestle with him on them. But submit to his authority, submit to truth, submit to his lordship. And in so doing, walk in freedom. Benj, you can come up. We're gonna close. But as we close, like I said at the beginning, we're gonna have a time of prayer. And I'll invite our, our elders and prayer team prayers just to f- get around the edges, some at the back, all around the walls. And I invite you to come for prayer. And here's what's been on my heart in this space. Simply this. If there is something that you are struggling to be free of that you know is not from God, which means you, you're living under a lie. If that lie has a hold of you, come and be free. Come and ask God to set you free. Commit and say, Lord, I wanna live in your truth. I no longer wanna live in the lies of this world. I no longer wanna let the lies have mastery over my life. It's time to be free. So I wanna encourage you as we stand and as we sing, Let's recognise that what's going on in our world is not a new thing. It's an ancient thing that's happened since the dawn of time. The battle between truth and lie will always rage until Jesus comes home. And the church is supposed to be the people of truth. So let's ask God to empower us to be the people He created us to be that we might bear that truth in the world, proclaim that truth in love and see a world go from death to life in Jesus' Name. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we love You and we praise You. And we thank You for the power of Your Word. Lord, I know that today is a heavy, heavy message. I understand that. But You haven't called us to comfort You haven't called us to shy away from things. You've called us to be the people of truth. So Lord, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters here, every one of us, that we would be awake, that we would not be enslaved to Baal, that we would be set free from Asherah, And if there is any guilt, I really feel if there's any guilt, any shame, any condemnation for anyone here who has engaged with Moloch, I just wanna speak the beautiful truth of the Gospel. That whom the Son sets free, you are free indeed. Speak the beautiful truth of the Gospel that Jesus Christ has paid the price. We are in Him, that our innocence has been restored and renewed and we no longer have to be living under the lie of guilt and shame. We no longer have to be living in the lie that we can do this by ourselves. No, we can humbly come. We can receive Your grace and mercy. And we can from this day forward, run this race with perseverance, knowing we're covered and made new in the blood of Jesus. Lord, I speak freedom, I speak life, love and truth. In the Name of Jesus, Amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.